Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on social media at Galen Trombley. I hope you enjoy the show. Greetings. Please hold for a very important message. Light speed sequence initiated. How may I help you? Bonjour. Security breach. The truth shall set you free. <laughs> awesome. It's a miracle. Mission complete. Thank you. Have a nice day. Let's roll. Hello, folks. Episode 223 of the Galen Trombley Show. Guest today. Returning guest. All-around good dude. Um, just stellar individual. Mr. Bryce Hansen. That's very nice of you. Thank you very much. I wish we had a laugh track right there. I gotta, like a little switchboard. Just be like, hey. Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you, uh, as you keep going... Uh, with this little studio space you have here. Um, yeah, definitely get a switchboard. I mean, you already have the computer set up, which is really, really nice. You've got these lovely soundproof foam thingies on the wall. That's really, really nice. Um, but yeah, you should get a soundboard and you can have a lot more fun. And uh, like the little groan, you ever watch, you watch The Office? Yeah. You know when he do, they're doing the Dundies and he hits the board? And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, that, yeah, I yeah. kind of want that. I just don't know if I want to be the one doing it, but I wish I had like someone just sitting there just running these like odd no- noises hey, for the switchboard. listen. Gonna, I'll, I'll put in my application. I, I was going to say. I'll gotta, be your little minion producer boy. I, uh, I'm going to put that on Indeed. We'll see who, uh, you know, can, can. Nah, screw Indeed. I'll go right to the top of your list. I'll sit in the back. Um, I'll be anonymous and I'll hit you with all the sound effects you want. <laughs> What what uh so what have you been up to? What's life been like? Hey, uh, lots of coaching, um, lots of hockey, <laughs> just a lot of hockey, uh, which is which is good. So both my boys play hockey, and um, if you're in hockey, you know, and if you don't, you don't. Um, uh, but it is just all in. So the hockey season is a long season. Um, in general, but especially like relative to other youth sports you can play, right? Yes. Like soccer, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am, two months, three months, Mm -hmm. and we're all done. So hockey, even for my younger son, who is six, started the middle of October and just finished. So I had this lady the other day we saw, we randomly talked to her. She's like, yeah, my kid's gone to a hockey game with my husband. She goes, don't get your kids in the hockey. You have no life. And I'm like, I, I do know that. I've never played hockey before, but I do know it is relentless, meaning you play. And I have a lot of people that I know that play hockey. Their kids play hockey. I grew up around the sport, but not playing, which yeah. was great. I was, a, I was a basketball guy, so I was warm. Um, but it is a grind. The good thing for you is, like, mom is in it. Mom was a hockey player. Like, you're, your wife. I'm just saying, the boy's mom was a hockey player, too. No. So, I thought she played hockey. No, no. She played golf. She played golf. She never played hockey. Ever. Are you kidding me? I'm couldn't I couldn't be more serious. You know serious. what I just had? I I swear to God, this just crossed my mind. And I wish um Nancy McDowell was here for this, but the Mandela effect just went real hard on that. Do you know what that is? I, I do about know. Before. We that, haven't talked about it, but I know what it is. I actually I just went Mandela effect on thinking Jess was a hockey yeah, player. Yeah, you did. She never played. No, never. Ever. You know what else is weird about the Mandela? Okay, so the Mandela effect is a wild thing, right? Yes, I'm baffled right now because I really thought she played. Yeah, it's a crazy concept. So try explaining the Mandela effect to your nine year old. 
because no word of a lie that happened uh uh like two months ago i don't know why it came up in his school but it did okay and he was asking about it so i had to explain it that that was an adventure of a car ride so this is where i'm thinking mandela effect like i i could have swore i remember seeing jess play high school hockey because they had like a i call it like the dream team they had like a a one like the girls team was like a bunch of shazy northeastern they kind of collabed, and I remember going to a couple games, and I could have swore she played. Like there was like Claire Parker played. Now, granted, Claire maybe didn't play because now I'm thinking this Mandela thing is screwing me up. But there was like you know there was um, well, Maddie Gay, Helen Drew. There was a bunch of these girls that were around the same age as Jess that all played hockey, and I could have yeah. swore she played hockey. No, she didn't. Wow. Okay. Well, I put in my place. But Mandela effect. Did your nine year old understand the Mandela effect? I mean, he did that day. Okay. I mean, he might ask. That's he, pretty good. He That's would tough. might ask again. But yeah. 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 No. So, uh, yeah, she definitely never played hockey. Um, Carson, my older son, can like kind of understand the Mandela effect. And even though, bringing the first part of this full circle, even though she didn't play <laughs> hockey, um, she is like all in as this like bomb ass hockey mom love it already love because um doesn't pull any punches and doesn't put up with any shit either like if one of our boys has an off game Mm -hmm. which we're not crazy to the extent where it's like purely skill-based for us an off game comes down to effort Right, like if you're not engaged, should. if if, yes. if you're not engaged and in it, um, obviously I let Carson know because I coach his team. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the head coach of his team this year. I would just help out with Hayden, my younger son's team, when I could. But so obviously I would let him know. Um, but afterward, yeah, Jess would also. Jess is actually a closet assistant coach. Gotcha. Um, I don't know how many other people run into this, but I will get texts from my wife during the game specifically (laughs) about what's going on in the game. And I'm realizing that this happens more than you may realize, but I will. So she's kind of like an offensive coordinator in football. She sits up in the booth, they call the plays and then you're just, you're like, um, can I call you the puppet on the sideline? It's just like, yeah, you I can. Li- I like that. Yep. Yeah, you can. Cause that. that's the nice way of saying it. No. Yeah. I'll, I'll straight up get messages. Um, sometimes it's about the whole team. Sometimes it's just about Carson and yeah, she, uh, brings down the hammer. So, um, but yeah, um, I was watching this movie the other day. I got, I, I, so I've been trying to stretch more cause I was stiff as a board and I'm trying to like prolong my life through stretching. Um, so long story short, I'm stretching in the living room. I put this show on Netflix on the background and it's Kevin James is in it. And he's like a football. He's, well, he's playing Sean Payton, the football coach. Yeah. I haven't when seen the whole movie. he suspended and he had to, yes. well, he wound up coaching like his, his son's, son's little team. league team or, or football, but pe- yeah. like Pop Warner team. Yep. I know. I've what. only gotten through like 25 minutes of the show or half hour. And what you remind me of is when he came down and he wanted the safeties to blitz. And the coach is telling him plays, and he's like looking over, and he's like, "So we're gonna do a blitz." And he see him like in the back trying to like make like gestures, and then okay. like, "No, no, no, no." He's doing like hand signals, and the coach is like, "And we're gonna do a linebacker, not a linebacker blitz. We're gonna do a uh, um, we're gonna do a safety safety blitz, safety blitz from the 
left side, right side. And he's, so he's watching this over, like he's looking over his team at him. So that's how I, I yeah, think you look at yeah, Jess. Yeah. Jess is like making charades up. Yeah. In no, uh, no charades, just some messages. <laughs> um, it would actually be really, really funny to compile, <laughs> to make a list of the messages I got from Jess while coaching. <laughs> that would be a good year end memory scrapbook because they are fire. The, <laughs> Uh, but they're good advice. Good coming from, I guess, a non-hockey player now. Uh, yeah. She's got like a sports sense, though. You know oh, what I mean? like, yeah. No, no, no. She she absolutely has a sports sense. Her dad played hockey. It's not like she's... She grew up around it. She, she it, She's not at all ignorant to the game. Um, and especially because Carson has been playing now. I think this is his fourth year. Uh, yeah. So she's just been around it. And so she certainly, she certainly has a place in her texts. Like, it's not like it's just coming from, I don't know, you know, Karen, uh, like the, it, it, it definitely makes sense what she's sending. I just appreciate the brutal, no filter that I get again, regarding either how the team is playing or specifically how our son Carson is playing. I like that. I, li- I like the best coaches I ever had were coaches that shot you straight and basically almost like punched you in the face with like stuff you needed to hear. Not physically punch you in the face, metaphorically punch you in the face. Yeah. With like, hey, like, and they called you out. And I think I can remember two coaches that I had that and we won – you know, championships under these two guys that were my coaches and they were both completely like they had their own style, but they were very well respected. And they kind of, um, you know, the, the way they, they coach was like, would probably rub some people the wrong way, but it got the best out of the athletes that really wanted to excel, which is ultimately what makes the good team, a team. And then I had the complete opposite and I'd have coaches that were good guys didn't really, you know, have a lot of direction, didn't really kind of have set ex- expectations or hold you accountable. And you know how it is when you're practicing, and this could be your son who's six, or this could be someone who's, you know, a teenager. It's to get good, you got to push yourself. And most people don't want to push themselves. So most people are like, wait, if I only have to push myself to a certain level and the coach is cool with that, then I'm going to push myself to that level and he's cool. Now, if the other coach who's, expectation level is much higher and wants you to double that effort and now you're it's almost scaring or uh, it's almost scary to hit that double of the effort yeah. because it takes more out of you and it's harder and challenges you but that's where you win so it's like i like those coaches that just pushed you because they knew they could push you further than you thought you could go yeah um but it's it's tough because you also rub kids the wrong way and then it, like especially at that age at a younger age you don't want to have them like give up the sport correct so there's like a, there's a very fine line correct do you find because I mean, your oldest son's eight right now. Nine, nine. So I mean, that's you're getting to the point now that the kids are starting to like understand te- like playing and and like yeah. who's good, who's bad. I want to yes. beat this team. They're getting competitive. Or, yeah. So how do you find that dynamic right now? Correct. It, it's super interesting. Uh, very very interesting, right? Because yeah, you are working with different personalities. So it's interesting to already need to tailor your messaging based on whom you're talking to when you're talking to nine and 10 year olds because yeah, people and kids do just respond differently. 
And it's a really, really interesting dynamic coaching because for me, at least, all I see is potential. Mm -hmm. Like all I see is the potential you haven't gotten to yet. So it's important to strike that balance to realize like relative to where they were, there's, you know, there is progress. The frustrating part is because there's not like, it wasn't the amount of progress that I know you could get to. So again, like I'm watching both individually and as a team, all I, all I'm seeing is potential. And you're working with, again, kids and it's, it's also interesting because kids are people too. So that's an interesting dynamic, right? Because it's possible, it's very possible for a nine-year-old to have a shit day, mm-hmm. right? And when I come home from work or when another adult comes home from work, if they had a tough day, either they can say, hey, I just had a bad day. I'm you know, in, in a bad mood. I had this, this, and this going on. Or maybe it's one of those things where it's just understood you know, mom or dad just had a bad day. It's way different, at least in my experience, in terms of kids, because the knee jerk is like, well, what is going on with him today? Well, maybe he had a bad day, right? Maybe he spilled his chocolate milk at lunch. Maybe he got pushed down in recess. I don't know. Maybe she lost her, you know, favorite pair of shoes, whatever it is. So the whole dynamic again, is very, very interesting because of those two styles of coaches that you pointed out, definitely one that's on the side of pushing um, and almost, not almost, demanding more from you. Um, Because again, going back to the beginning, like when I look at you as a player and when I look at the team as a team, I just see it through the perspective of potential. Like, I know you're here, but I also know you can get here. I've seen the little things, right? I've seen the little plays. I've seen the little looks. I've seen some progressing in this sport specifically. I've seen, you know, better skating ability. So I know you can keep going. So keep going. So that's a, do you find that's kid, a tough one. Do you find kids at that age resonate with the, I want to say like the push, but because it's tough for a kid at that age. Again, I'm, I maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but I feel like a nine-year-old kid understands the sport and might like the sport. But I also feel like they're at a stage where they're still a kid and they're not in the mindset of like I got to get better. I feel like yes, I don't know at what age you hit the level where you're like I just want to get better at whatever this is. It could be a I, musical instrument, could be a sport. Yeah, based on it, based on what I've seen and kids I've talked to. Um, at a whole bunch of different ages. That's not even age specific. That's just kid. Per- that's just so, kid specific. So you have some, some kids now that are like that. Yeah, they're okay. just like, um, you know, some some kids. Whether it's playing an instrument or playing a sport, again, in my experience, they're just they're just happy doing it. Like it's just cool enough that I get to play the trumpet, or it's just cool enough that I come and play hockey. So bringing it to coaching. Yeah, it is a very interesting dynamic to work through when you have such a large difference in motivations on the team. Um, again, like, okay. So for example, my son Carson earlier this year, this is more of a, I guess a funny one as opposed to like a real, real example, but you'll see where I'm going with it. I think. 
So my son Carson, we were sitting down, and I don't know about you, but my boys love having like just chats right at bedtime. <laughs> I call it stalling, but yes. Yeah. I so it was definitely stalling, but like these are like wind up being real talks. So they're a good. lot of the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it starts out as stalling. Yeah. But the amount of times that I have to tell my younger son, Hayden, like, we're done, you need to go to bed. Yeah. I would say five out of seven nights a week. I got to yeah. be like, hey. And he doesn't give us an issue in going to bed. We've been very lucky. We've always had fantastic sleepers, but he just keeps talking. But anyway, so we're having one of these nighttime chats, <laughs> me and my boy Carson. And he tells me, that, he, like, when it comes to hockey, he wants to be in the Hall of Fame. So, again, I'll say that again. He wants to be in the Hall of Fame. There was no... Well, I'm assuming NHL. Well, the, no, the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, he skipped the NHL completely. Just, just in general. Yeah, like, the NHL was, like, in this moment, like, wasn't even thinking of it. He just wanted to go to... The, he just wants to be in the Hall of Fame. The Hockey Hall of Fame. So, then we did have to walk that back. You know, and yes, there are different categories, right? Like you could be a builder, right? So that's like for GMs. Um, if you have enough of a, I guess, effect and presence in the game, you could be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, you could go in the Hall of Fame as a coach, right? So builders like your general manager, coach is obviously your coach, and then there's player. So just letting them know, all right, so that means like from the player category, yeah, you got to go to the show. You have to play in the league, and that was a big you know, I guess like eye opening experience because we just, we did, I did walk through just like numbers with him, not specific, just rough. Right. So we looked it up. I can't remember what it is now, but I got the rough guess as to how many guys are in the NHL right now. And then kind of had him guess and figure out how many people are playing hockey right now. Right. So of those people, there's only this many. And of this many players that are playing right now, not ever in the history of the game, relative to the number of players that are playing right now, there's a minuscule number that are in the Hall of Fame. So, like, don't want to stifle, obviously, his dreams, but what we were able to do is flip that just in terms of the work that it'll take. Mm -hmm. And that's what then shifted the season for us, which was really interesting because going back to different motivation levels – it became clear at the beginning of the year that in Carson's mind, he wants to be a good hockey player. Mm -hmm. So you want to be a better hockey player. And we talked to him about a bunch. So you're sure this is what you want out of your year? And he said it was. And we let him know, okay, that means a couple different things. That means you got to be shooting pucks in the garage all winter long mm -hmm. when you're off the ice. That means things like full effort in all the practices. That means you know stick handling. That means full effort in all the games. And it means your mom and I are going to be harder on you because you want to do better mm -hmm. and like th where you want to wind up in terms of your own ability is going to demand a different expectation. That's all. So you have someone like that. And then again, you have other kids that, you know, hockey is just the fun thing social for them to be able to do. And you're right. So now we want to be sure that you know, the kids that are motivated and really, really want to do well, we want to make sure that they're being pushed, but we also want to make sure that they come back to the rink mm -hmm. and don't want to drive them away um, from playing. So 
that part is interesting. I, I like the, uh, I like what you guys said with the, well, at least with your son of like, hey, this is your expectation level. We're going to hold you to that level. But this is, like, I, I coached soccer for many years, and we had, um, you know, and it was fun, and you know, we had a, a good program, and we had good kids, but it was always f- funny to see. And I remember this clear as day one year, we had two kids. I'm just going to use these two kids as an example. One kid always had a soccer ball with him, always. Practice ended. I would, like, leave. He would, like, stay to watch one of the other games, and he's, just like, juggling a ball on the sideline. And then you'll see him, like, before practice, like, shooting, doing all this stuff. Like, outside practice, doing all this work. And then I had this other kid that wanted to play more in the games um, skill level obviously was not there. Um, but then you learn like effort level to the point where like his parents, like one of those like parents come up, like our kid should be playing more. And it's like, and I'm, back then it was flat out. It's like, no, he shouldn't be. He's not, he's not good. And, and this was a um, high school level. So, I mean, this is JV. So it's like, you know, at this point you're starting to separate the kids that want to play and the kids that are on the team. And so I, I remember saying to him, like, I'm like, if he's coming to practice, which is fine, but like if you're playing soccer, you're playing a team sport, coming to practice is like the the minimum barrier to entry. Correct. Like you show up. Like that's okay. So he shows up in his effort level. Now, granted, it's relative to what he can give, but it's also relative to the rest of his team. I said his effort level is on the lower spectrum of all the kids that are practicing. So, you know, if I had to, I'm not going to give a number, but if you had to list out one through 20, He's not cracking the top half. He's probably cracking the bottom 20%, 25% of effort level in practice. Then you realize he goes home and plays video games at night, which in my thing is, I don't care. He's not a bad kid. Other teammates like him as a person. But when you're saying that he's going to play or you want him to play more, it's like, well, let's look at like, let's look at everything combined and let's look at his effort. Let's look at his habits. Let's look at all the stuff that he's doing it doesn't translate to his goal. Like if his goal is to be the, the best soccer player on the team, there is a drastic difference between his his input versus what he wants for his output. Also coupled with the fact that his main support system, which is his parents, are justifying his poor input level and saying that he should have an output that he wants even though he's not willing to put the input in. Yeah. Meanwhile, I have these other players who play all all the time don't even really have to tell you what their output or effort or what they want to do or want to be because they just show it and they live it day to day. But you, those are the kids that you can push a little harder to to tap out their potential. You don't have to tap them out to motivate them because those kids are self-motivated and they're doing the work to get to that upper level. And then you have to balance that aspect of like, okay, this kid's not going to put in the effort. How can I – because now I'm talking stud player that's practicing all the time and I have this kid that's like on the team – in his head, wants to be good, not not really walking the walk. And how do you self-motivate both of them to get that kid slightly better, which his best is going to be worse than this kid's worst, being the top-level kid. Yeah. So then it's a matter of like, you know, you're trying to work with each kid individually, knowing they're all not going to be at the same level ever. And this is humans in general. But um, I always found there is... A dynamic of you and you get to learn players you get to kind of read them and like you said there's a kid that you can push a certain way and they're going to respond to it where if i use that same tone or same approach with another kid he's going to turn he's going to quit the team because he's just like ah it's too much whatever um and then i think the other I- issue that's tough too with pe- people don't understand is when you're looking at players 
nobody knows the players on the team better than the coach. Correct. And I'm not going to say parents know their child, absolutely. But when you talk like, depending, even if parents go and sit on the sideline and watch practice, there's a different dynamic from sitting, like, let's say, in hockey and the bleachers watching your kids versus a kid being in the huddle and you're a foot away from them talking to them or talking to them in the side, you know, whatever it is, all those little conversations. And, and to merge all that together and then try to find out, like, this is how this kid reacts, but then also understanding what that kid has going on in his life, too, because that's different. You know, like, does this kid have, you know, does he have a support system at home? Does he Is he practicing at home? Is he doing stuff, you know, what's his mannerisms like? Because you got to look at everybody as a collective and say, or the person as a collective and saying, how can we mold everything I know about this child on hockey, which is my, like, medium, medium of trying to... Sh- um, teach this child like you know what i mean you're not an art teacher you're yeah. just coaching hockey so i'm taking in this case the hockey aspect taking everything you know about that child and this is on the ice off the ice good bad personality you know uh what's it called um body language verbal you know whatever tying it all together and kind of almost making like a very specific coaching package for that child yeah and then but you have to do that with let's say all 20 kids 15 kids whatever it is um has how has, does that come natural to you? And do you think you you? And again, most people would try to say no on this, but do you find that you coach Carson different than you coach the rest of the kids? Hell yeah, I do. Okay, dude, if you say you don't, you're lying to yourself. I, I, I feel that's the same. Yeah. Hell no, hell no. I I absolutely I coach them different. A because I know I all right. So the reason why I do. Because you almost have free reign a little bit well, because I the do. answers to you exactly. in the sense of like a no a, a no, no I do because thing. you have because you have a you have a very good point so I do not treat him differently I do coach him differently mm-hmm. because what you just outlined I know him completely yes from a coaching perspective I know him as the player but I know him completely as the son mm-hmm. which me and the person um, as much as a parent can I guess yep. so I know him. All the way around to what you said. Yeah, I don't know everything about, you know, your son or daughter. I know them as a player. But again, Carson, dude, I I got you pegged. Yeah, I know it. I know what's going on. Um, so, yeah, I do. I do coach him differently. Um, I am hard on him. I am harder on him. Um, a lot of that, though, is because of what he expressed to me as the son and parent in terms of what he wants out of hockey for himself as a player. So if you're going to you know, say that, then yeah, I'm going to help hold you accountable. The other really interesting thing that you brought up, um, again, is the difference between the person and the player and, underst- and you know, how you can already start to help those kids understand that because sometimes their parents don't even understand it yet. Right? Like when I'm, when I'm coaching – and when I'm pointing out things you could be doing better or you're not playing as much in the championship game of a tournament, like none of that is an attack on you as a human being. None of that is an attack on you as a person. Mm-hmm. All it is, it is purely anything I'm doing is just with respect to you as a hockey player. And that's another reason why I think like sports for kids is everything. Because it's, I mean, it's the cliche, but it's super true in that it's way more than sports. It's way more than the score. It's the fact that you get to learn about yourself 
learn about being a member of a team. And this part, this distinction here is huge, I think, for setting them up for success later on with a career or a job or whatever it is they're going to do, right? Because there's a difference between you as a person and you as a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. As a person, you are a real estate agent, but like for me with what I do in insurance, if someone internally or externally has criticism of my work, and by internally, I mean within the organization, externally means like a client. If someone has criticism with my work, it is important for my own mental well-being that that is not necessarily a criticism on me as a person. Mm -hmm. It's purely me as an insurance agent. Similar to the kids, if you aren't out on the ice in the last minute of a championship game where we're down by a goal, you weren't picked to go out on the ice. It sucks. That doesn't mean you're a bad kid. Mm -hmm. It just means you weren't out on the ice during the last minute. And I think that's a super valuable lesson as well to be able to whether, what's that word, Sub unconsciously, subliminally or not, start to be able to really understand that distinction. How do you, because um, that's like, because like you said, hot, for kids that, again, if you're a younger child or, you know, let's say you're under 18 years old, you really don't have a lot going on in life, meaning that, so when you play a sport, that becomes like, that becomes like your life. I, mean, I lived it, you lived it. I mean, yeah. everybody that's played sports lives it. Like when you're in a certain season, like that's your life. You don't, I mean, there's really no responsibilities. You don't take care of anybody. You don't work. You don't, you know, you go to school like everybody, but that's kind of checking the box and then you go play a sport. So I do find, and I, I found this as, I mean, I definitely um, found this with a lot of kids I played with. I don't think I ever took myself serious enough to think this way, but a lot of kids identify when they play a sport that I am a hockey player, I am yes. a soccer player, I am a basketball player, and they get wrapped up in that. And then, like you had just said, like, if you don't, if you put all your eggs in that basket that I am a hockey player, but yet I wasn't picked to be one of the five guys on the ice for the final minute or overtime or shootout, whatever it could be, then I'm terrible. I'm a terrible person because you identified yourself so much with being this hockey player. Oh, yeah. Now, if you don't, then it's like you're, you're useless, you're a failure. And I think if you go into, and this carries on into adult life in the sense that you just said, like, if I get rejected in real estate, which happens all the time, happens way more than I succeed. Like that's just, it's a game of numbers. Like you're going to get way more no's and yeses. If I wrapped up myself as being a realtor, agent, whatever, like this is what I do, then that would be like detrimental to me. Now, does it still sting when you get rejected? Yes, you're human. Like it's net rejections, never fun. It could be getting rejected for a date. You wanted to ask, a, you know, ask a girl out and get rejected. That stings. You know, it could be you messed up a play in sports as a kid. That stings. It's like when you get older, you just get rejected like a business. Like if someone says, hey, Bryce, I'm canceling my account with you. you you're terrible. I'm moving it over to this person. Is like, that's not Bryce as a person. I'm sure they'd be like, if you were like, that's fine. Do you want to get a beer later and just like shoot the breeze? They probably would say, yeah, he's a good dude. Like, I don't, I don't mind that. And I think if you wrap it up in, like, if I just put all my eggs in the basket saying that my professional life was like what defines me and I just, then I would be very disappointed most days. I think, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I, I find I've got That's gotten, pretty insightful, Galen. Yeah. Do you feel that though? No. Do you know no, where no. I'm going with yeah, that? No, I, I, I completely get 
where you're going with it. Um, yeah, because I mean, what do you, because in, in terms of what you identify as and where you place the majority of your identity, um, you know, one of your basic human needs is going to find a sense of belonging, right? Like that's, that's tribal, that's Mm -hmm. instinctual, right? You want to, you want to be safe. And part of that is again, finding a sense of belonging. That's why it is so stressful to walk into the cafeteria with your tray of food the first day of school. Yeah. Where the hell am I going to sit? Yeah. You're an island of one. You're begging your eyes while you're scanning the room. And if you didn't do this, it's because either you knew where someone else was sitting or you're lying to yourself. I swear. And it still, it still happens with adults, right? Think about, um, think about one of the chamber breakfasts Mm -hmm. or one of the state of the state of the state, state of the County town city breakfasts where there's not assigned seating. Yep. I watched it when I was at one because I like geek out about this stuff. I watched it and you can still see it, right? There's still that, where the hell am I going to sit? Because instinctually there needs to be a sense of belonging and you need to be admitted into the tribe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now my sense of belonging is deeply tied to my identity. Now, when you are like whatever sphere I'm identifying in, mm-hmm. to your point, real estate, to your point about the kids, that I think is spot on and something I haven't thought about yet. So that's pretty cool because now I'm going to be able to think about something in Munch a different way. Yeah, no, because you're right, right? All right, so you meet a eight-year-old, stereotypically so, what's your name, what grade are you in? The third question is going to be, what sports do you play? Like it's that high up in terms of an adult meeting a kid. What's your name? What grade are you in? Oh, that's cool. What you, sports do you play? Yeah. Do you play any sports? Yep. Boom. That's that's only three questions in. Not, you know, I don't know. What do you like to do? Or I wouldn't even know another one. Like, are you into poetry? Or yeah. anything like that. Like, like what, what do you do when you, you first play? wake up in the morning? Like, what's the first thing you uh, do? You get up and go brush your teeth. You go exactly. Grab a, you go grab your tablet. It's, you... it, it's 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 none of that. I mean, maybe to if all right. So if they have a teaching background, they'll probably ask, "What's your favorite subject in school?" Right. But then they'll ask, "What sport do you play?" And so that's a really interesting point because whatever season it is, as a kid, if you play sports, if you play sports as a kid, I think that you are spot on. In that, whatever season you're in becomes a large portion of your identity. Mm-hmm. I'm a soccer player. I'm a hockey player. So now when stuff isn't going your way in that sport, that's testing that identity, which is a wild thing to go through as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine putting myself back in that position to try to understand that as a nine-year-old it's made and the same token i also think we don't give kids enough credit i think that kids are smarter more perceptive and more self-aware than we give them credit for self-aware being the third one on purpose because maybe not but i still think that kids are way smarter and way more perceptive than we give them credit for um but yeah so now you're already going through 
uh, a situation where someone outside of yourself is testing your identity, I guess, to summarize what you and I were just talking about. And that's wild to have, to, again, well, to have to go through, but it's also good because the, all that's going to happen is that's going to happen time and time and time and time again. Well, especially when you look at kids, like the, a human brain stops, de- or stops developing at age 25. So when you look at kids in their early 20s, and we work with them, they're peers. I mean, you, at this point, there's people I work with, people you work with that are under 25 years old. Their brain has not fully developed yet. So when you look at kids or young adults who's – so if you look at a 23-year-old, their brain is not fully developed yet. So they will make some decisions that aren't rational. They'll make some decisions that are overly you know, emotional or just way off the cuff that you're like, what? where is this – What's this person thinking or why they do that? Well, they don't even know because their brain's not fully developed. And I, I remember this clear as day. The first time I heard that, I was like 27 when I heard that that stat. And uh, then I was like, you know what? That's weird because when I just, like for some reason, I had this like aha moment. It's like, you know what? When I turned 25, I just felt like things started to like make a little bit more sense. Things started to connect. The dots started to kind of, or stars aligned, things kind of connected. Um and I felt that there was like almost like a, a a span of like six months to a year where things just felt like they the ant they kind of answered themselves. And every year you get a little bit more aware and smarter. And this is internally like I've learned more in the last you know couple years on totally different things. I never thought I would even be interested in or want to learn or have to go up against, as I'm sure you have. So then when you take that idea, you know, and we're in our early 30s, like I we still have a lot of growing to do. But if you were to say, okay, go back and put your mind in a nine-year-old, like with what I know now, that's why you always talk like athletes, like I wish I had my mind now with my 20-year-old legs. But the idea is if you go back in time and you have a, a nine-year-old that loves hockey, identifies as a hockey player, he's very vulnerable in the sense, like you said, if I walk into a breakfast, Friday's a, the St. Patrick's Day breakfast. I have a table to sit at. I know who's sitting at my table. Now, granted, I've met many people over the years, but when I walk in, I'm still like nervous as to like who's going to be there, who do I have to talk to. If I walk in, I don't have a place to sit. Who's going to welcome me to their table? Yep. Now, the answer is a lot of people would. In my mind, it's like there eh, might be nobody. Like that's, but that's like an internal thing I think that people deal with is just, we just think it's always going to be worse than it is. You'd walk in all of a sudden you talk to 10 people before you even walk through the, the main doors and you're just like, okay, this isn't that bad. But as a kid, as at, like, and we can, we have, we've come or uh, we've developed the tools over years to, to, to combat that a little bit. It still yeah. bothers us, but we have a little bit more you know tools in the tool bag to kind of figure that stuff out. As a nine-year-old, they walk in, they also, same thing. They, they want to be part of a group at nine years old. If you're, you know, if you're, ostracized from your group of friends or all of a sudden you want to be a really good hockey player and you all, all identify as hockey players and you're you are good buddies with three other guys and those are three other boys those three other boys are the three best players in the hockey team and you by far are the worst of those four boys now what happens are you still accepted in that group of friends or yep. do those friends start to push you out because little johnny's not he's he's okay but he's on the third line and we're all on the first line yep. and we were fun, we were friends with them when we were on the you know the u you know u7 but now we're on u9 and yeah he's just not making the cut and you have these dynamics where a kid at that point you know when you're all putting yourselves in as hockey players and you're fighting that which is like the tribal instinct, but it's also the the underdeveloped mind instinct. It's also the youth aspect. And then you have to try to 
work within these dynamics. And I think like you said, I think kids, I don't know how, and again, this might be the wrong way of looking at it. I think kids now are way smarter, more developed than we were at that age. But you're talking now we're about 20 years difference in age, 25 years difference. So that's a whole generation of better development for those kids. I also feel that our generation is getting better with certain soft skills that we just spoke about, where I think that we're more aware of some of the dynamics beyond just like this kid's not working hard or this kid's where you can kind of read these situational things. So I think a lot of it is if like the coaches that are typically parents can connect with younger kids or the kids on the team and you can be empathetic and you can understand what they're going through and you can tailor it to like, okay, I know maybe this kid just needs a little, just a couple one-liners to him or a little just pregame pep talk that has nothing to do with his skill level, but more along the lines of something off the ice that just gets his mind in the right spot yeah. to give him more confidence. And then he'll go out and play. He can play. Most people, it, it's mental. It's from the, it's the neck up. It's all this stuff that happens between the ears that is like, and this is in life in general, but when you put it on a kid that doesn't have the full development of a brain and you ask him to really deal with the same stuff an adult's dealing with, but has way less resources internally to deal with it, then that you know that becomes tricky, and that's why I think parenthood is one of the hardest things that you're you're learning as you go, especially with your oldest because it's your first time around. So like, you know, when you have Carson and you're like, ah, you know, like we're trying to figure it all out, and then Hayden comes along and you're like, we've at least seen it before and dealt with it. He's gonna be a little bit different. He's gonna have a couple different things, and we got to kind of tailor it to him. But we've seen this song already once before. It's played once before. Um, and I think as you, you coach and you move up with the kids, you get to know the kids, but then they're at a different level. Now they're at a different maturity level. Now they're at a different, you know, um, you know, going from nine to all of a sudden they're at 13 to all of a sudden they're at 17. Like that's three different humans, same human, but you know what I mean? Three different levels of development. So you're, you're you're training and teaching and coaching to different levels, just as if you would, if your son does go play in the NHL, he will be treated differently at that level because he's, he's grown to be a different player and yeah. he's gonna be coached at that level yeah so it's, it's just a, the dynamic aspect i think the identifying though is tough for people like if you ask me like what i identify as i i really try to be a good person like but i try my best so if you said like you said before if i did something my effort level wasn't there i would be more upset at myself than getting a no i don't get mad when i get rejected i usually get mad at getting rejected because it's like Ah, I should, yep, I should have been better there. I should have did this better. And I go into like reflection mode. Yeah. And then I beat myself up more on the reflection aspect than I will the actual, which is the in my input versus the output, which is someone just said like, no, I don't like you. Yeah. I want to do this instead or whatever. Um, but I think that's wrapping up where your identity is on that. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but same thing like parenting. I would be much more distraught if I had some issue as a parent than I would as a professional. Cause yeah. I, I put more emphasis on that in my life than I would yeah. real estate. Like if I lose a deal on real estate or if a client says, screw you, I'm going with this other agent. That's fine. If my kids were like, I don't want to ever talk to you again, that would be heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Like I would get over to the other one in about two minutes. Cause I got someone else to call or do something else. If my kids said that I'd be a mess. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where you weigh it. It's, and that's where I think you also put emphasis in your life on what you prioritize and, want to focus on and really where you put like, you know, your energy into. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, tell you what, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's a very deep conversation. 
It's do, very deep. Very I mean, do you quick. find that with with the kids though? Of course, you tie it in because I think I of think course. you have to. You just, I mean, kids are. It's weird when you say like, if you had a kid that walked in here right now and they sat down. I think an old school way of looking at it would be like, shut up, kid. Like adults are talking. That's you. You know, you saw that all all growing up. You'd as a kid, you're intimidated to talk to adults. And I find that I would be the opposite. If a kid walks in here, I'd give them the same respect as I give you as a, as an, not an adult as a person. Yes. Like you'd come in. Now it's a different level. I'm talking to him different than I would talk to you. But I still think same thing with my kids. If they come up and ask me a question, be like, okay, what is it, buddy? And you know, and there's a certain point where like, hey, you, like you're interrupting or just, you know, but I will talk to him. It's not like, hey, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. So I think if, I think the idea of trying to treat everybody as people, even though there's, you know, you're talking from like, my kids are five and under all the way up to someone who's 90. Yeah. I talk to them different because of, of the actual age or the whatever, you know, how, you know, who I'm talking to, but it doesn't lessen the, the respect factor I have for the person, even though they might be a child. I still want to, you know, if I go pick up my kids from school and I see the other kids, I will say hi to the kids. Like, hey, Adam, how you doing? Hey, you know, so-and-so, like, how's it going? And they're, you know, they might say something to you. But I think having that versus just blowing off these kids is like these little, like, you know, minions that run around and don't can't have any type of, like, interaction with people I think is crazy too. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, I think that's like a, it seems like a little bit of a shift societal-wise. I think, that. yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so. I think so, because, yeah, my, I mean, you go from, you know, my parents, that was the definition of you don't speak unless you're spoken to, um, right? Like, you just, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the dinner table, um, you don't or speak like the unless kid table. spoken to, you just put your head down and eat, and if someone asks you a question, then you can speak up. Uh, I definitely see that um, shift as well. I would agree in terms of my approach is that I'm going to be engaged in a conversation, regardless of whom it is that I'm speaking to. Uh, I don't, I don't think that that's, you know, that is special. And I think it's becoming a little more common, although maybe not because you hear everyone talking about, you know, everyone's heard it like literally at nauseum about how people can't interact with each other anymore because they're so used to being a keyboard hero or they're just used to having their head in their phone. But like, I'm going to talk to, the cashier at Price Chopper, the same exact way I would talk to well, me here on the podcast. You yeah. here on the podcast to, I don't know, some head honcho or some big mover and shaker in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my engagement level, like that's not gonna, mm-hmm. that's not gonna change. Um, you know, one of my like favorite little dad joke things I've settled into is, you know, you walk around the office or whatever and you ask, Hey, Galen, how are you? And you give the answer of, Oh, you know, I'd be like, I don't. That's why I asked. Elaborate. <laughs> and that's uh and that's just like a funny pause. It, it is one that I've, it is one that I've like, I guess accidentally settled into, but it's, it, it, it's been funny to like see some of the reactions, honestly. Hey, Hey, how are you? Oh, you know, no, I don't. That's why I asked. If I knew, I wouldn't have asked you. Yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. All right, cool. What's well, fine? Um, just just that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, kid, fifty year old, ninety year old, gonna be engaged, um, or at least have the same level of engagement. What we talk about, the way in which I speak to you, of course, might change, right? Like I probably won't talk to, I don't know, a priest. 
the same way. I'm going to talk to like an old college buddy, mm -hmm. but my engagement in the conversation is going to be the same. And tying that in to kids and how they are more perceptive than we think. I know for a fact kids pick up on that. Abs oh, yeah, absolutely. I know for a fact. And mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about the blatantly obvious ones in terms of like when you're out and I could like throw my shoe at like these people where you're out to lunch with your kids and your head's buried in your phone. Yeah. I mean buried. Or you're out to dinner and you're just scrolling through. Because you can tell the scroll. You can see the scroll. I get life happens. You might have to answer a text. I understand. Whatever. We all have our different things. But the scrolling while you're at a table with your kids is just mind-boggling to yeah. me. I don't get it. And you know those little guys can pick up on it. Yep. And okay, so headed back to the deep level of conversation, that's socializing them, right? Everything you're doing as a parent, which I try not to spend too much time thinking on this because it it like places such a huge burden on the parent. You have an instrumental role in terms of socializing your kids into how they interact with people, right? They learn the basis of human interaction from you first and most of it's just watching that's what i mean yeah, about the perspective surely watching that, like all right so all how many i don't know like go to therapy sessions mm -hmm. parents come up all the time all the time because you were socialized into either communicating or seeing the world that you do or um working through problems or conflict the way that you do because of what you learned from the people that were around you. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, that's parents, right? Maybe you were raised by a single family. Maybe you were raised by grandparents. Whatever it is, whoever's raising you, whoever's guardian, um, or whoever was your guardian, they have a monumental impact on this crucial time where you're literally learning how to be a human. So... I mean, from that, again, I, I try not spending too much time thinking about that because I'll put myself into a mental pretzel in terms of the pressure that places on me when it comes to my two boys. But it is it is so, certainly something to be conscious of in terms of, again, the role you have. So comes back to being engaged in conversation, right? Like if this kid goes through the day and like, a, I don't know, a tenth of the people they talk to are actually engaged in a conversation back with them and then rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. That happens over and over and over and over again. Then, I mean, what does that do in terms of shaping how they're able to interact with other people? Or self-confidence. Because Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's literally, okay, so when you're a parent, you learn as you go. Mm -hmm. I know there's a monstrous industry no playbook. about parent help books. Yep, there's no playbook. Okay. So parent help books, I sure they help somewhat. You just have to do it. All right. It, like you just have to figure it out as you go along. So just as you're figuring out how the hell you're supposed to be a parent, the, the kids are figuring out how the hell they're supposed to be a human. Mm -hmm. All right. Now. So I don't know. You know what? You know, what's also funny about that. I, I've, I've, told this to people. I said, if you want parenting advice, I don't give parenting advice. I'll give you one level of parenting advice. And I, I could write a book. This would be, this would be the, the 
extent. Here's the front cover, here's the back cover, and yep. here's one sheet in the middle, and you open it up, and it says, do what works for you. Because I find that parenting, you have two boys, I have three kids, they all are different people, they all require different needs, they all require, you're different than me, Jess is different than Gina, our dynamic is different than your dynamic, is different than your kids, is different than your grandparent or your kids' grandparents and your parents. When you look at all that stuff, everybody has a different way of doing it, and I think the biggest thing is if you get in the bubble from a parenting perspective and say, because Bryce, Bryce, I like the way he coaches his son in hockey. I'm not Bryce. My son's not um, uh, Carson, but can I try to emulate Bryce the best I can? And we have different inputs. There's things you're way better at than I am. I'm sure there's a couple things I'm better at than you are, but we take our strength and we try to mold and do the thing we can. But I also feel like, you know, that, that those interactions have to work with what's best for you. Like if your kid's not sleeping, there's no parenting playbook that I think is ever going to work. Should you have the kid in bed? Should you not have the kid in bed? Should you have the kid like, you know, sleeping with their siblings, not sleeping with their siblings, the light on, the light off, like all these crazy things that you see people talk about. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know what works for the kid. I don't know. Yeah. It's just trial and error it's Yeah, all I, day long. So yeah. So do what works for you is your parenting book. So my parenting book, because we got to fill out the bookshelf at the bookstore. I mean, come on. If you're on Amazon.com. Vo- volume? No, it's not just volume, but you know Amazon.com. They got to have other recommendations for you, right? <laughs> so you got Galen Trombley, Book of Parenting. Half a page. Uh, half a page. Mine. So yours is Do What Works For You. I'm, it- I'm probably going to just be right at all it's going to say is consistency. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that's that's a huge one. Um, and, well, okay, so I would say, actually, sorry, to your best is good enough and consistency. Because consistency yep. is a pep, I don't know. It's just like, here's the deal. Bedtime means it's bedtime. No means no. Okay. But the other side of that is yes means yes. So if I say, no, you can't go over to Evan's house. You're not going to Evan's house Mm -hmm. because I already said, no, you're not going to Evan's house. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if I say, yes, you can shoot on me, um, which sorry, non-hockey people, um, our kids spend a wild amount of time playing mini sticks in the winter. Dude, it's... Do they have the little puck that glides over the carpet? All right, so we have pucks, we have balls, we got we got it all. All right, we got it all. We got floor hockey goalie gear, complete with helmet. I love We've it. We've got it all. But anyway, like, if I say you can shoot on me, that means you can shoot on me, which means I got to show up to do that. Um, I don't know, just consistency consistency is the big one for parenting and i don't mean that as like the nun in the private school that whacks your wrist with a ruler that's not what i'm talking about i just mean what you say happens yes like i'm i'm gonna take that away if you do that and then you gotta take it away if they yeah, do that. that one yep that one we see it all the time and it is not at all from a place of judgment right because I try very, very hard, very hard to remove myself from a judgmental place. Um, It's a trap of humankind. I think it's natural to be somewhat judgmental. I try to nip it in the bud when I can. Yeah. Um, Ted Lasso. Love it. 
that shit season is three also comes fire. Out. Already yeah. dead. Uh, Already dead. Today. Well, here's the weird thing. I thought it was today too. I watched it last night. I don't really? know how it's possible. Yes. Oh my gosh! We'll talk to Ted Lasso. I loved it. Okay. All right, yeah. We'll, don't we'll, don't spoil because I've not watched it. I'm waiting. I, I'm not going to talk about the episode, okay. but like talk I mean, about the first two we, seasons. Yeah, we can bring it up. All right, so we'll uh, put a sticky in it. We're going to hit you with some Ted Lasso coming back after the break. Um, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Sound effect. Yeah. But okay. So anyway, um, consistency. What was that? It was about consistency yeah, yeah, with yeah, children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. When I don't know. I am not as big a fan as the negotiation with kids. Now, please understand, I'm coming at it from the perspective of my kids are nine and six, so I'm not talking about talking to a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. I haven't been through it yet. I haven't done the do what works best for you with a 16-year-old. I'm just talking about nine and under. If there is a behavior that goes against an established expectation where there is a known consequence to your point. You do that again. I'm taking away the Kindle. There's no, in my opinion, there's not room for negotiation Mm -hmm. there. There's not. Okay. But next time we will. Okay. But this, or I, if I get to three, this is going to happen. And then they get to three, but three's not the end. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm serious. We're going to do that. I I don't know. Just if if you say it, it happens. And that is it because the other thing besides a part of figuring out how the hell to be a human being is you are going to consistently test boundaries. Where where do I fit in all of this? Again, I think that's animalistic. And I think that grown-ups do that too. You see that in a new job, mm-hmm. right? You see how people can change a little bit once they've been someplace for six months, mm-hmm. once they've been someplace for a year, Get comfortable once or, they've been someplace for five years. Part of it can be comfort. Part of it can be complacency. Mm-hmm. I think you could label it both of those things, but I also think the other thing is along the way they have, whether they know it or not, slowly tested boundaries, and now they've settled in to this new spot. Mm-hmm. Um. My hands were going like that. I was trying to think you of kind of look like a puppet. I was trying to think of a metaphor. You're, you're giving me the uh, like the in sync. Bye bye bye. Yeah, like the, bop, the puppets. Bop. Yeah, yeah. I was trying <laughs> to think of something settling, and I imagine uh, imagined a midgen. I like that word. Imagined. I imagined it. Um, I imagined uh, like something settling in water, but then nothing came to my mind. So I just I turned into going. I just turned into NSYNC puppet boy. The, 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 They're gonna have no idea. People, but I was can't so see. I was so close and so far away from a metaphor. Okay, that was a lie. I was so far away. The only part I was close to was knowing that I wanted to do a metaphor. You were 180 degrees one way yeah, or the other. We were just so we were like missed really bad. Anyway, <laughs> like you just again you settle into where you are through testing boundaries. So. I don't know why my kid acts that way. I have a good idea. Mm-hmm. I have a good idea. Somewhere along the way, there was more than likely some lapse in consistency, which directly hit up against a period of time where they were retesting boundaries, and then they settled into this new place. Are you good at that? If, like, if if you said, "Hey, count to three, this is happening," yes, very good at it. Okay. 
Because I, um, I hate it. I hate it, but that was one thing I have always done. So No is no, yes is yes, and I've actually put my foot in my mouth, and in a moment of being more angry than rational, yep. I said no to something I wish I hadn't said no to, and you got to stick by it. So I've, I know where you're going with that. I, I've, I've done it before. Typically, it's I want dessert. Okay, you got to eat your food or there's no dessert. Like straight sure. up, I'm sure this is almost every parent. Yeah. So the kids like eat dinner. All of a sudden, they're, they my if you're if anybody's like my kids, they nibble at dinner, run around, play around, and then we'll eventually minutes. come back, maybe eat some more. Then they'll run around again, maybe come back, and all of a sudden before bedtime, I'm hungry. So if that whole like dinner at our house, I mean not terrible, but could be there for anywhere from an hour to two hours sitting out because they eat, they come back. Yeah. They, sometimes they finish it all right there, and like, yeah. this is a good night. But it's always like, hey, you know, they'll forget that they got dinner on the on the table, and they'll come back and be like, I'm like, all right, we got uh, 15 minutes before bedtime. Well, I haven't had dessert yet. I'm like, well, you haven't finished your dinner yet. So then they might go and finish their dinner. Now, if they go finish their dinner, I will give them a dessert. So I'm kind of the one I'm like, you're not getting dessert unless you finish your dinner. Correct. But I will leave the door ajar there for you to still complete the task that I asked you to do to get your reward of, of dessert. Yeah. Meaning... To me, that's fine because there was no, you didn't put any time frame no, on it. it. Correct. And I mean, some of the parenting books that I could like kind of understand come a little more around, um, like the psychology of kids, but then also different nutrition things and how like forcing kids to eat until their stuff doesn't also wind up being healthy um, because maybe they actually aren't hungry. I, what we wound up doing is, um, for a little while, the, I forget which boy it was. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm sure they both did it right. Eat a little bit, be done and immediately want something else or Mm -hmm. 15 minutes later, say I'm hungry. Yep. All we did was we just kept the plate in the fridge. Yeah. So you ate this, you didn't eat a lot of it. Yeah. I'm not throwing the food out. May I please be excused? Yes, you may. 15 minutes later, I'm hungry. No problem. Let me warm up dinner. Just to kind of get rid of it, because like this is what this is what we're eating. It's like that fun. It's almost like that fun, you know, hard ass sitcom mom type line, right? Where it's like, hey, listen, this is my kitchen. It's not a diner. I feel like that's like Roseanne or you something know? like that. Exa- yeah. Hey, Roseanne, not the one you're coming. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nope, nope. But she makes sense. Yes, totally makes sense. <laughs> Definitely, Roseanne would have said it. But it, it, I don't know. Just like kind of that, right? Like, hey, this is a kitchen. There's no menu. Or, you know, I don't like that for dinner. There's no menu here. Yeah. Like this is, this is, uh, this is what we're having. But what you've said, yeah, I think, I I think that's a good example of being consistent. And that is of all my many faults as a parent, some I'm able to see now, some I'm sure I won't see until you have the hindsight moment. Mm -hmm. Um, one of them is not going to be consistency because that is something in terms of, um, you know, being there when we say we're going to be there Mm -hmm. and a consistent presence Mm -hmm. is big for both Jess and myself. Um, that's what makes hockey season hard because they're on two different teams. Mm -hmm. We're in two different places. I coach one of the teams. So by virtue, if they play a game at the same time, I have to be with Carson Mm -hmm. and Jess as a caring mom doesn't want Hayden to not have 
apparent in the stands. Yeah, absolutely. So we spent a ton of this time, me going with Carson, sorry, a ton of this season, me going with Carson, Jess going with Aiden. Um, and that part sucks because one of, uh, one of the big things that I've always wanted to do is just be able to consi- like not only be there emotionally, but like just physically be there for him. Yeah. That's something that I personally want to be able to do. Well, I think as a kid too, you like looking up to seeing your parents in the stands. Of course. You know, cause, and, uh, but I think the, uh, the consistency thing, absolutely. And I think that again, it translates to the future, like as an adult, like if I can count on a certain person, if you tell me, Galen, I'm going to do this and you do it, then I'm like, you know what? I can trust Bryce. I know Bryce is going to get it done. I have confidence in Bryce. I'm now maybe going to trust him with bigger projects or bigger things in life or bigger ass. Oh, sure. But he's going to be able to deliver. And so I, I'm kind of the same way where I've actually gotten better at, I'm not perfect at this by any means. It's something I'm working on is saying no quicker. So instead of you saying to me, Hey, I got this thing coming up Friday night. Be really cool if you go. In my head, I'm like, zero chance. There's zero chance I'm going home, hanging out with my wife, hanging out with the kids. Friday nights at our house is just like, I mean, it's like any other night, but you don't have to get up the next day for school. Like, it's just like. It still feels different. It's a different night. It's different. And it was different when you were a kid. It's different when you're a parent. Yeah. But if you said, hey, you know, why don't we get a, I got some people we're going out to all of Ridley's on Friday. We should get, we should get together in my head. I'm like, that sounds awesome. I would love to do it. If this was me calling the shots and I had nobody to answer to in my life, I probably would go to that event. But instead of saying, you know what? Yeah, I'd like to, I'll let you know. And in my head, it's like, it's already a no. I don't have to, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, there's nobody I'm going to go ask. I'm not going to go ask because I really don't want to do it yeah. versus the alternative. And so I'm just better at saying, hey, you know what? That sounds great. Zero chance I'm going to be there, but I hope you have fun. Or I appreciate the invite. Yeah. But I think me just saying like just flat out being no and not like the person inviting me really cares if I go or not. It's not like they're going to be distraught that I don't show up. Yeah. But I also Maybe think they will. Maybe they you will. You don't know. I don't You're know. You're a pretty cool guy. Um, but Their night's probably ruined. But at the, least they knew I mean, their night would be the ruined. The one I'm referring on to, Tuesday. they actually just canceled it. They said Galen's not showing up or canceling this thing. But um, no, but re- realistically, like I, I'm trying to get better at that. If somebody gives me an ask for something, I'm like, you know what, just can't do it. And I want to, but I, mm. I want to do it not. And I, and again, I'm saying this as I'm better than I used to be at this. I'm yeah. by no means like yeah. perfect. But I think that's something that I've been trying to work at. And I think you know we talked about beginning, like trying to always get better. I I self-analyze myself all day long, every day, every decision I make, everything I do. Yeah. Um, Now, some stuff I just like autopilot, but I've already, I mean, what's time? Like mid-afternoon right now? I've already like psychoanalyzed myself, you know, 50 times today on different things. And it's not anything good or bad, but I feel like it's almost like a... It's it's almost like I have a coach on the sidelines, but it's my own self, like self teaching or self coaching myself. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it's like, okay, you made it. Was that good? Was that bad? And not, don't dwell on it. But it's more of like, good or bad. I'm like, I, I could have been better. Okay, put put them in. Yeah. Good. Next one, like yeah, ah. really really good. Good point. Um, so all I, of those now because, so, I'm happy you brought that up, right? Because the consistency piece and in terms of wanting to get better, um. One of the places where that, you know, has, you know, fallen off, not in intentionally just has, I think partially because I am a little bit of a space cadet 
And partially because I am thinking about a lot of things so much of the day, psychoanalyzing myself like you, thinking about the boys, thinking about work, is when you have that much going on in your head, something has got to give. Mm -hmm. You just don't have the capacity for all of it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, mainly unfortunately for my wife, a lot of that has fallen on um, our relationship. And not, not, not as much like the not feeling the love. It's not like I, you know, I'm neglecting Mm -hmm. her. What it is, is, Hey, can you pick up eggs? Yeah, no problem. Completely don't pick up the eggs or like, or Hey, you know, this thing needs to be painted. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Mm -hmm. Three weeks later, it's still not painted. Ah, yeah. Sorry about that. Four weeks later, still not painted. It's like the little, um, I don't know. I would almost call it like the little household logistical items. Yeah. Um, at just for a long time and only recently it started getting better, fell completely by the wayside. Like forget to do this, forget to do that, not do this, not do that. Um, so I am certainly trying to be much, much better in that regard. And I'm also trying to be better about more efficient decision-making. So quicker decision-making or more decisive? That one. Decisive Decisive is good, which decisive for me does come with a, for me at least comes with a speed component to it. Okay. So that way it is quicker that, you know, even little things like I get hung up on if like I get hung up on not if I want to, if I should. So I'd get hung up big time on, all right, like this past weekend, uh, Jess wanted to uh, go tanning. Okay. Right, because we're back from Florida. Got to keep the base going. Got to keep that base. Yep. Uh, Because it's all that about that base. Uh, thank you, Megan, trainer. Um, it's all about the base. Uh, you know, you got to burn the bronze. I'm sure dermatologists I usually just that burn, listen yes. will not appreciate that. But if you're someone like myself. Um, some bro science, but that's. Some bro science. You got to <laughs> burn the bronze. Uh, I try to manage my burn to a minimal lobster and then I'm first ready. First degree, just first degree. F- first degree burn, and then all of a sudden, I'm the front cover of a romance novel. All right? That's what I'm talking about. But anyway. I thought you so, looked familiar. Yeah, boy. Um, right next to the parent help books. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my cover. At, um, at the grocery store checkout aisle. Hell yeah, boy. Um, yeah, just to the left of the tabloids. Um, coming to a store near you. No, but so she just wanted to go tan. And we uh, had just got back from a tournament in Lake Placid. Um, Carson had a very, very early. He had to play at 7 in the morning. And it was daylight savings time. Oh, Um, Right? So it's an (laughs) early-ass morning. Um, So I'm exhausted. And (laughs) all, like, I know. Okay. So I wish I was one of those people who didn't need sleep. Um, I, I can't do it. I have to sleep. Um, I am still what's a, your minimum you baby try to get? in that regard minimum yeah six hours oh okay like well, not, bare minimum yeah but I'm talking I get about six to six and a half and it, I need more me too um, I like seven yeah I like eight I mean I love eight <laughs> I like <laughs> and eight. I love nine but I like eight seven's my goal each night yeah so uh, so anyway so I know that the, like herb needs a nap right nap time's coming but I'm stuck in the decision. Like, all right, do I just go with Jess? Jess offered to bring the boys. 
now I have two decisions. Do I want Jess to bring the boys with her? She offered, or isn't it just easier if they stay here? Um, I could still probably rest. I don't necessarily have to sleep. Um, but what are the boys going to do while they're here? Does Hayden need to nap? Um, should I just really go with Jess because my in-laws just got back from Florida and it'd be cool to see them. And that way she can just tan and doesn't have to worry about the boys. Um, and who knows what their mood because they're tired and maybe they'll be grouching the car over and I can help with that. But then what am I going to be like tomorrow if I don't nap? Mm-hmm. I'm talking at that pace for a reason because my mind is going this quick and then instead of just being more decisive like I would like to rest and my body needs rest Mm -hmm. I don't care if you bring the boys or not that's up to you and then just leave it no more psychoanalyzing it just leave it um similar thing with you know different decisions right like maybe someone's asking you to go golf or uh, you know, asking to play hockey a certain night, and instead of "I ah, will see," I'm with you and trying to be like "Yes" or "No." Mm-hmm. Like, "Yeah, I'll be there." No, I'm out, and that's just it. So, a decisive decision making um, in my personal life certainly is one. And then again, being that person you can rely on in my personal life as well, in terms of those. I mean, I guess like existentially relative to everything else going on, they're smaller, right? Like getting paperwork dropped off here, printing off missed religion work there, um, getting eggs, picking up the milk, remembering to do the little project, just helping because you saw some clutter on the way in the house, right? Um, Just noticing little things to take. Those, again, smaller household logistical items that over time compound into a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be much, much better about those as well. I I guess my, my decision, my process on that is my memory is terrible. So what would happen is if my wife texts me and said, I need something, I will typically, I'll take like the text, her actual text and I'll copy it and I'll put it in my calendar as a reminder to go off when Roughly, I'm going to be able to pick this up. Yeah. So. Yeah. What? What? Okay. So I just found out um, about reminders. On calendars? On my phone. Which. Not the calendar. It's a reminder. It's a, it's it's a reminder. reminders app. Oh, okay. And I like it. And I, I, I just found out this is the first week I've used it. Yeah. I'm already batting a thousand for remembering shit. Yeah. Which. Hey girl. Oh, I uh, yeah. But I, I rely be, on it every day. But because I like it, because what you can do is like all these banners, um, right? So like you have all your banners. Um, yep. what you can do in the reminder app is you can set it so that the banner doesn't come down until you do it, which is good for me. Okay. So like the notification, now it's not going to be up all day. Mm-hmm. Similar to you, I'll pick the time. Like yesterday, we had um, over the weekend, one of the kids on Carson's hockey team rode with us to one of the games. Mm-hmm. He left his headphones in the car. Yep. Last night was practice. We needed to make sure we got the headphones back to him. This is a perfect example of something I would 5,000% forget to do. I have the reminders now, so I put a reminder in Mm -hmm. for a time 15 minutes before we were going to be leaving for practice. 
Correct. Yep. Because before I go somewhere, I'm going to check my phone quick mm-hmm. to see if there are any missed calls or texts. Mm-hmm. Very natural. Yep. Well, now I see the reminder banner mm-hmm. and it's not coming down um, until I do it. So because I tried the calendar as well, but what would happen is even though it was on my calendar to do, I would get going doing things and then would still forget it because so, it, it it didn't resonate with me similar to like how a meeting would. Well, no, I agree. So like you can see, like this is like later today. Um, this I actually have here to remind me to take a photo of you when we get done the podcast. But I have something to talk with Jen every day before the end of the day. I have one in the yeah. morning, in the afternoon. And then down here, I literally have to grind coffee. Because I do it at night because that way it's not, I don't have to grind it in the morning when people are sleeping. And then I've been trying to stretch and do my journaling and stuff at night. So I put it there so I don't forget. And then I have like, this is for the breakfast, like what my clothes I need to pack for that next day. And I'm planning to go to Whiteface after. So like I have down in the same thing, like ski stuff for the next day just to organize that night. So the next day when I get up and you got the routine yeah. that I'm not scrambling, like, oh crap, I forgot I had to pack X, Y, and Z today. Yeah. But because I will forget, I think the going back to what you said with um, with uh, reminders, that's number one. I, I, I so when you say batting a thousand, I will actually put myself up against most people and not forgetting stuff because I've got a system that I've made it such a habit that I like refuse to let myself forget stuff. But um, on the flip side, if my wife asked me to do something and A, I know I can't do it, I can't fit it in or I don't want to do it. And and I'll go to the not wanting to do it. I'll explain that in a sec. But like if she was like, hey, can you stop and grab whatever on your way home today? I'm like I can't. Like I got a couple things. Like there's no way I'm going to make yeah, it for the time. Yeah, I'm ass at that. That's the other part that I need to get better so at. So you'll say yes knowing you probably wouldn't be able to do it. Yes, knowing that it's going to be close. But in, I rationalize it in my head saying like I don't want to add that to her day. I got it. It's like the tip of it. It falls yeah. in like the stereotypical like guy like thing. I'm yeah. like, it's easier. I got it. I'll handle it's it. It's way easier for me to deal with something mm-hmm. in my head yep. than for her to have to. I'm the same. Yep. It's like, just put like, I'll take the shit. No problem because it's easier just for me to grit, bear and go and just deal with it than have her have to do it. So I, and mm-hmm. she has multiple times through this process of just i mean like anyone does just growing together mm-hmm. has you know told me if you need help ask for help yeah if you can't do something tell me you can't do something so that's the other item um it, i would all, agree with that i will need to get better just what, in terms of like saying it's always no funny. i don't have time or any of that well in the same boat as you it's like you feel like i gotta do it like and this is in general like if somebody came and asked me i'm like you know what like i have a I've gotten better at delegating to people. I still have a hard time delegating, not because I don't think someone can do it. I just don't want to make put extra work on their plate. And you know, I'm like, uh, you know okay. what? Screw it. Like they're more than capable. But like, you know what? You got stuff on your plate. I have way too much on my plate, but I'm just gonna keep it. It's like I'm gonna still I'm gonna climb uphill, just throw another pack on my back uh, on my back, because you already you already have a few, and it looks like it's kind of heavy. But I'll just keep overloading myself, even though I know I probably shouldn't. That like is me to a T where I've gotten like, I don't like micromanaging. I love giving people tasks to do, but like if I'm like probably ask Bryce to do too much, 
I'll just do these like next three things that really I should be giving him. Yeah. And he should be figuring it out how to get it done because I'm figuring out how to do these 20 things. But I'm going to now have 23 things to do because I don't want to overburden him with now he has seven. You know, and that's kind of like my brain goes, even though like at home, we've, we've kind of have a good system where my wife, like I call her like the CEO, COO of our house. Like she knows way more of what's going on from like all the like home stuff you need to do, whether it's just like calling companies or figuring stuff out or having stuff prepped or making plans or who's watching who. That's my wife to a T. She's way better at it than I am. Um, and I actually have completely taken my hands off of most of that stuff, partly because of, like the too, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. So she just knows that's like something she owns. We've never really discussed it. She's just fallen in place and that's what she does. I fall in place in certain things I do around the house and I never ask her to do it. She doesn't ask me to fold clothes. I don't ask her to do the dishes. Like it's just stuff that we do. That's just a rhythm. We, we have it. It works. So I will go out and do a bunch of stuff you know, on like out and about work side and my wife will take care of a bunch of stuff at home. And I'm like, great. I don't want to have to do that. I don't like, you know, even the other day, like having to update my Nexus pass, she did it all for me. I'm like this because it's not that hard to do. It's one extra task. And she's like, just give it to me and I'll figure it out today. I'm like, okay, great. Off my brain, my monkey brain's going a million miles an hour and a bunch of other stuff. So she just took those small tasks out. But I will, she'll also say stuff like, hey, can you do this and whatever that task is? And I might say, not a high priority. And I'll, I'll flat out tell her that. I'm like, that's not a high priority in my list today. Or, or like, hey, did you get a chance to call so-and-so? I'm like, for that event that's happening in a month? No, I did not. I have other stuff going on right now. And I'm very open with her on that. I'm like, I, I will get to it. But with the, all the things that are going on, I got to triage what's most important. And like my day at work today was not pick up the phone and make a call for something that I can do honestly any point this week doesn't have to be done on a Tuesday but and so I've gotten good at just setting that expectation with her of like no no I'm not going to do that and I still will own that task but I'm just like I'm fine saying it's not happening today because one thing I've gotten better at is really protecting my time and protecting the things I want to get done versus being at like the mercy of like I need this, I need this, do here, go here, um, where you find that your day just gets spin, spun out of control because you're trying to, you know, please every single person versus saying, no, no, I, I actually have responsibilities to do and I got to get those done before I can become like reactive, like I'm open for everybody to have access to me because, you know, you do that for a while and then you realize like as life gets crazier and as you add kids and you add more responsibilities and Everything else, like you said, something's got to give. Yeah. And it's just a matter of what can you allow to give yeah. where in my thing, and everybody kind of talk about boundaries. Like I have certain boundaries. Like I'm not going to do stuff like to limit my time with my family or my kids. Or if my kid wants to go do something on Saturday, guess what? I'm not doing something for dad on Saturday. I'm doing something for my kid on Saturday. Now, if my wife can do that and I have like a free time, then I will maybe go do something. But I'm pretty much a hermit on the weekends. If it doesn't involve my kids, I'm like, I'm chilling at home and I love it. It's like, it's amazing. Um, But I think you, you know, having those expectations to yourself and kind of having your priorities aligned, like, I think that's important. And people talked about like the brain developing, like, and, and just, you start to learn these things. Like I'm way different than I was seven years ago. Like my yeah. brain, my brain's fully been developed now for eight years. Maybe rumor, um, rumor, rumor, has, rumor it. has it. Sci- science says that. I don't know if I, my brain's fully developed, but if, but the idea, like 
over eight years, I've learned more than like between now and when I'm 40, I'm going to be, my hope is a much better version of myself at 40 than it was at 33. Some things will go. I'm going to be a little quicker off the line. You'll kind of some, some athletic things, but you hope to still, you know, you're, you hope to maintain as much physicalness as you can, like good, you know, physical, physicality. You hope your mental, um, efforts get stronger. You know, you hope your, you know, your internal external gets better. Um, but it's a work in progress and you're just constantly trying to like polish the, polish the stone or, or sharpen the, the, you know, the arrow kind of deal. And I think, you know, if you talk about, like we said before, identifying with something, my identity to me is that I try to get better every day, but I also do it with good intent. And I think if I can live in those two worlds, they're very, very broad brushstrokes, but I think they encompass a lot. It's kind of like the golden rule, you know, treat people you want to be treated. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Um, intent, if you can buy into it, is a saving grace from going uh, crazy. Well, it allows you to, and again, I've said this a lot, but it allows you to like rest easy at night. It allows me not to get, like if I said something to you and I did it with the utmost genuine good interest at heart for you or myself or whatever, and it pissed you off, I might be like, ah, shoot, I'm going to now analyze. Maybe I should have used a different approach or price or whatever. But I'm not going to be upset that I I said something to you. And I think, you know, when someone says, if I, like, I'm going to use this as an example. If I said something to you and you got mad and you're like, you should apologize for that. And I'm like, like, if I apologize to you, because I had this argument with someone one time, I'm like, if I apologize to you, which is fine, I said, I can't apologize for what I said to you because I said it with good intent and it wasn't meant to trigger you the way that it was, that triggered you. If you want to ap- me to apologize that you're upset about it or took it the wrong way, I can, but then people think that's like a backhanded like apology. Nah, but it's, no, for me, I'm with you in that, I mean, you, you should only apologize for what you're actually sorry for. Yeah. And if I, if you took something the wrong way, yeah. then it could be like, that's on you. Hey, yeah, it's on you. And, and I've said that before. I'm like, I, I don't like, if I upset you, that's fine. I'm like, I'm not trying to be, a, I'm not a perfect person. I'm going to upset people. But I said, if you took it the wrong way, or maybe it is legitimate criticism and you took it the wrong way, or you didn't want to hear the truth. I could be the same way. You could say something to me and be like, God, Bryce, I hate you. But I'm like, yeah, he's right. You know what I mean? But then I can't get mad at you. I mean, I could get upset in the moment. Yeah. But then like when we was like, Bryce, you got to apologize because you hurt my feelings. And I'm like, like, that's not, you know, if I went and I punched you in the face, I would be like, hey, man, I'm sorry. But that wouldn't be good intent. I don't like I don't I don't know a good scenario where punching you in the face would be good intent. I would maybe punch chivalry. You, I yes, I would maybe punch you in the face if I thought that you were going to go punch your wife or something. Sure, yeah. And then I would be like, you know what? I'm totally not, fine. But like in that, but I and mean, the those intent are, is good. But my intent is like I am protecting someone else. Yeah. So then I would punch you in the face. But I don't think that would Hell happen. Yeah. So, but if it was just like punching you for the sake of punching you, I'd be like, that's not good intent. So I mean, there. So so most people you can read that aspect. So I think the apology for intent is if my intent was bad and you called me out on it and like internally I'm like, yeah, I was actually like, you know what, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. I knew I was saying the wrong thing. I knew like as soon as it came out of my mouth, I shouldn't have said that. I would apologize on that. But I think if I said it and I'm like, I actually stand behind what I said and it's not meant to make you upset. It's meant to help you or I think in my brain it was the best thing to say to help you. And if it didn't work out, then I could say, like, I'm sorry that made you upset, but 
I'm not sorry I said it. And I think that also gets people upset, but I'm like, that's more of a you problem. It's weird. It's a weird scenario. But like, I am in your camp, which makes this portion of the program boring because there's no debate. But kay. I'm in. We talked Ted Lasso. I'm in your camp. Hell yeah. So talk Ted Lasso. You, so you, you, you're, you're, the, you're caught up. Great. I am caught up. I am caught up. Here's what I will say. Episode one did not disappoint. Okay, good. It was good. No, it's good. It's good, right? It, I don't know. It's um. all right. So uh, Ted, Ted Lasso is very endearing because it is a feel-good story that's a result of a feel-good story, right? Like it just started out as a joke for a sports center skit. I, which S- I remember years ago. Me too. So the fact that it turned into a show is like, oh, that's kind of funny. But then I think because it was such a skit that turned into a show, your expectation level is low. Right, like mm-hmm. I came into it wondering if it was more just, which I don't blame them. Um, if if this was it, if just a cash grab, a way to make some money on a show, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. There's nothing like too bad in that. It it's just it's just part of it. But it wound up being really good, and it's funny, and it's endearing, and there's wonderful. I don't know. There's like very wonderful and relatable conflict throughout the show. You know what? It's I, good. It's a good ass show. You know what I found? So, a perfect example. So, I think my, I feel like my parents started watching it and are like, you got to watch Ted Lasso. And I think my wife ended up watching the first season before I watched the first season. Uh, okay. And I remember hearing it in my head. I'm like, that was like an SNL skit Jason Sudeikis did where yeah. he pretended to be like a football coach that didn't know about soccer. And I remember seeing this and I'm like, Ted Lasso. I said, that. I said, that's not a TV show. That was a skit. And they're like, no, 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 it's a brand new TV show. Then I had another um, Mandela Effect moment because I, I swear to God, I was like, wait, oh, Ted boy. Lasso, like I felt like I've seen this season, this series before. So I ended up watching the old, it was like what, like a five, seven minute clip back in the day and he was working with Tottenham Hotspurs and they were doing their whole thing and doing the press conference. And I think it was when NBC took over for the EPL. They were starting to show games. They did it as kind of a spoof. Uh, I think you are right. Yeah, I think Because I think they had Jason Sudeikis go up and kind yes. of do this, like what he did. And so what I find the most endearing part of Ted Lasso, so I started watching it, um, I think over like COVID probably, or just a little bit, you know, to- after the first season. So I watched the first two seasons all the way through. I think they were all out or maybe season two, came out shortly after right um the one thing it is it's weird because it's a fictional soccer team that plays over in england and you kind of look at it and it's starts out goofy and i think it's one of the most this past year i read a lot and i watched a lot and i listened to a lot about things talking about simplicity i'm talking about less is more and kind of like the prioritizing and you know what's essential and I think the funny thing about this TV show is it it really ca- encapsulates that because there's not a lot of there's not a lot. It's not like a Game of Thrones. Every they all is a soccer team. They they're all in every episode. They're living out their their day to day. It's not like you have these weird storylines where like Ted's got something going on and you know Roy Kent's doing something and you know they all have their weird things they never cross. They they, they coach together. They live together. They play together. Whatever. And what I find about it is you take this, the first few years, or sorry, first few episodes, it's a very simplistic storyline. 
It's a sock. It's a football coach that's going through a divorce, or not. You don't even know that at, at first. It's a, so- a soccer coach that goes over to, or a football coach, sorry, that goes over and plays, or coaches in the the you know, the English league for soccer. And then you start to realize, like Rebecca did it to basically in spite of her ex husband, yeah, because she wanted to tank the team. And then you start realizing that Ted Lasso was like a Midwestern heart of gold guy, no ill will. And you're like, okay, he's a little too like chippy, chippy, whatever, all this stuff, cheery. Then you realize like he's going through some personal issues. He's going through a divorce. He's got some like mental like issues that he's battling. Then you start adding in these players. Well, we all know how professional athletes are. They're just head cases. They're gr- great, but they're in their own head. They're, you know, you have to be at a certain level. So now you take all these, you know, these uh, egos in a room, and then you come in with this guy that's not fully bought in. And you come and you take these simplistic characters and they weave them together yeah. into this tapestry of very deep, like the storylines become deeper. And then the interpersonal relationships become deeper. And then they bring in, I'm looking at uh, Dr. Sharon comes in as a sports psychologist. Yeah, and then she Sharon. just is like a great addition to season great two. Great addition. But then they start going layers deep. And I feel like this is like a very simplistic, like, Here's an onion, Bryce. Watch I knew you were going to say onion. Watch, watch this show. I knew you It's were an onion, say but onion. every episode, uh, onion is, I feel like Shrek. Every onion, or every episode, a, a layer of an onion is being that peeled back. Shrek. Shrek, yeah, when they first. Yeah. Ogres, oh, I thought you were arguing. Are like onions? But it, yeah, he's like, yeah, and he goes, ogres like onions. And he started talking about peeling back the layers. Yeah. So, but you start peeling back the layers of Ted Lasso, and you realize, like, there is some deep storylines in a ve- when I talk about simplicity, in a very simple concept, in a very I mean, it started as a skit on SNL, but they developed the characters in such a way that this is a very complex show, which is masked by a very simplistic storyline. Like Game of Thrones is a very like all the crisscrosses and who who did this and who has power and who's you know, like and those just got deeper and deeper and deeper. Okay, I don't feel like there's a lot of deepness to Ted Lasso, but the it only goes a few layers deep. But those layers are very very oh impactful. no no yeah yeah okay so what you're saying so the plot the plot line is very simple is very simple you yes. get hook line and sinker because of the character development. But I feel like you get hook, line, and sinkered more as the move as the show goes along. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I found that every episode that I've watched since season one has. I'm not saying like an individual episode is better than another episode. I'm saying by compounding those episodes on top, the series gets better and better yeah. and better with each passing episode. Yeah. And you can't say that about every series. Yeah. Every series. Yeah. Because it's again, it's just got fantastic character development. Who's your favorite character? My favorite character. It's got to be Roy Kent. Come on. I was going to say, he's here, you he's say, there. You say, uh, yeah. Hey, you know what's funny? So I was down in, uh, I didn't get a picture of this and I was upset. I was down in Saratoga, went down with a couple high school buddies. We get together like once a year, twice a year. We go down, we played some golf, and then we went and bet on the ponies. It was it was a g- great day. I look over this guy who's walking through like the, the track area. He's got a shirt that says he's, and there's an arrow pointing one way, he's, and an arrow pointing the other way, and then he's, and then there's like a, a, a like a circle, like almost yeah. like an infinity circle. And I looked at it, and I wanted to take a photo to send to Gina, and I'm like, if you know, you know. And you saw this, and as soon as you saw that, I was yeah. like, this is the most brilliant shirt I've yeah. ever seen. Um, I do like Roy Kent. I was actually going to, I was thinking if you were going to go that route. 
Yeah, no, nah, he is. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Jason Sudeikis is phenomenal in it. Um, Hannah Waddington does a great job. Amazing, yep. I'm not going to lie. This is the most I've ever been able to name actors by name because it's up on the screen. Uh, I never know an actor's name unless they are unless they're on the office. like Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Then, like I, unless they're like that famous, you know what I mean. I, I just know people as their character. I don't know. I don't know their actual name. But yeah, uh, no. Again, seriously, Dynamite Show. You should definitely watch it. Um, I'm just pumped. Season three's out. Promo code Galen twenty at checkout. Get ten percent off. Yeah, bud. <laughs> Your Apple streaming services. Um, but I think uh, the cool thing is too. They're like, we're doing three seasons. And they've stuck. I, I, from what I've heard, this is the final season, no matter what. Oh no, shit! Because they said we're doing three seasons from the start. We're doing three. We're not like getting roped into like everybody loves a show, so we're doing season four. Okay. It's, I I was told they're doing three seasons, and that's it. Now, granted, we'll see how it develops. It is going to be the most interesting to watch Nate the Great this season. You know what was funny? It was like season one. He was like this nerdy dude. Yeah. Season two. You saw it a little so, bit with like the gray hair coming in, which is still kind of weird part of the show. But, but it's a cool how they're doing it. Yeah, and then he comes almost like that. Was it like Jose Mourinho? He kind of comes in, and that's like the yep. whole thing plot he's off of. And now he's like this. And I talk about like parent issues. Like they go back into his parenting issues. So they they kind of the, like you said that character development, like pulling back the the layers to find like what's Nate up to, and then you realize like he's got this like thing to prove. Yep. to like himself and his parents but it comes at the detriment of basically throwing other people under the bus because he's so caught up in like i gotta live up to my parents expectations and then i'm a loser now i gotta prove that i'm a winner and i find that like and you get someone like ted who's just completely on the opposite end of the spectrum with his own internal stuff with like family dynamics and stuff but it's uh yeah i'm, I'm curious to see how that all goes and then also you get some of the players like last was it season two with like sam like not having the sponsorship because they went against his home country in africa and they had like yeah what the hell is his last name of the show ubahanya uh in the show obisanya sam so obisanya that's pretty good uh he's a great character too i actually really like he's him dynamite um but yeah there's some really good people in this this uh this series um yeah yeah, Roy Kent, though. He's great. And he actually was a writer that wrote the character and then decided, like, I think I could actually play I that part. I just saw that clip, and then he sent yeah. a video in showing him, and they're like, yeah, you're it. Which is hilarious. Nailed it. He's he, he's good. Yeah, he, he's good. Um, Bryce, for the respect of your time, respect of the people's time, how are we going to wrap this up? You got you to gotta, you gotta plug? You want to you oh, plug? You damn. Got, you gotta- I love it. So in our world, and by our world, I mean Northern Insuring, a term that gets thrown out a lot, mm-hmm. um, is uh, like at the end of one of our larger company meetings, right? Like we'll do like a quarterly town like hall. Like an all hands. Something like that. All hand Nailed it. All hands meeting, baby. Is that what you call it? We do have an annual all hands meeting. Okay. I thought you had some insider information on no. us. <laughs> Freaking spy. Um, oh, you saw my drone? Yeah. I'm, you saw my, my I uh, saw the balloon. balloon. Yeah, you saw yeah. my balloon? Yeah. Yeah, I saw the balloon right above the office. Um, no, uh, a lot of, well, not a lot, a couple of people uh, wind up saying like, all right, so to bring it to a soft close, 
which yeah. always sounds like we are straight up in the middle of a meditation. But anyway, That's right. so uh, yeah, bringing in this derailed train in for a landing um, in terms of, go ahead. Actually, What's before, before you land this plane, did you, did you see the MH370 documentary on Netflix? MH370? Yeah. No, I got no idea what you're talking about. So MH370 was a flight from Malaysia that disappeared, right here, the plane that disappeared. Okay. And I remember when this happened. This happened in 2014, yeah, I think. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, like all of a sudden, like went off the grid. Yeah. Nobody knows what happened to it. They yeah. still, to this day, have no clue what happened to this plane. Wild. And it go, it's a three-part series, and they kind of go through different theories theories i want to call them conspiracies but theories and every single one that you're like that makes sense is like debunked by something different and they're like well this is a theory and then people have ways against it but ways for it so it's it's very bizarre and uh sorry when you said bring this plane to a soft landing you I was just like, well, thought of cheek. it i'm like this plane actually never landed a, well i mean it had to have no it didn't something happened to it it doesn't mean it landed didn't mean it landed it but it had, been. it had seven hours worth of fuel. So they kind of like, how far could this plane travel? Like, where could it have traveled? Like, yeah. The, um, where's the pinging? Where's the radar? Like, who's they on board? still don't know. They still don't know. This is, I don't, do people understand how crazy that is? I mean, like, do for, people like, do you think fully understand how banana lands this is that a plane in the sky disappeared and no one knows what happened? It's creepy. It's it's very and you watch it. Is it's, that me being naive and not understanding how big the Earth is, or is this just no, wild? I, I think it's um I think it's a lot of cover up, and I think if, <gasps> if I had to really like oh, this where it goes conspir- it went down and then they're covering I, it up. Well, or aliens. So the, the three, and I won't dive into the three. The number one was they thought the pilot just straight up went and crashed the plane, like a suicide mission almost into the water. The the theory is into the South Pacific. That was that's the one of the first theories was that the pilot just but went rogue, turned off the sensors, turned everything off, just did his own thing. That's number one. Number two was it was hijacked by people on the plane, and something happened. Why they hijacked it, but something were to happen, they kind of had theories as to why this would happen. Um, because there was another plane that got shot down, like kind of near the Russian Ukraine border also from Malaysia about f- within the within the year it, that got shot down so they thought there was some type of connection between the two okay. with Russia because a Russian missile had shot that plane down yep. which also killed a bunch of people then um number 3 was that there was an actual takeover or an interception of the plane via and the United States came to play in this where they actually manipulated the flight and the people and they kind of hijacked it but not from the inside you know kind of um and they went through all this like how this would all happen because there was um materials on that plane that were checked in not known and if they end up seeing all these reports that was going to china because it was flying to beijing that the u.s didn't want these items they weren't supposed to be on this plane and they were somehow being like smuggled into china via this plane and u.s intelligence caught wind of it and instead of letting it go decided to basically blow this plane up or do something to it so those materials didn't get to china these were all and the thing is there's pros and cons to both there's people that believe in all of them there's people that don't believe in all of them there's stuff where they're like we've seen the plane parts in the south pacific that got washed up on madagascar and this um reunion island which is like outside of africa like in the south pacific 
And apparently this guy went and started finding all these missing plane pieces and are like, this is kind of bizarre that he's finding all these pieces. Nobody else can find it, but this guy is like, knows where all these things are. So they're like, was this planted? Is this a diversion? They're trying to yeah. take, you know. So it's a very weird documentary. I don't know. But I it, don't know. There's just, it's but it's, too much. There's, it, it. it's just too much potential because I wouldn't, I honestly would buy any of it. Well, it's like going back to anything. It's like like the JFK scenario. It's like 9-11. You go through all these things and like what happened or didn't happen. The problem is people throw so many theories out there. And then you kind of go into the idea of like, well, I just don't trust the government. I don't trust. Like there's people that know what's, know the story and just yeah. covering it up. And if you really took away that theory, which I think becomes the default to everybody, that there's some type of government manipulation, yeah. then you start looking at like, okay, if that tr- really wasn't the case and we just looked at all the normal facts of what would happen, like what's logical? And I think you would solve more, but I think there's always that like asterisk where it's like, this could just be a complete cover up and people know about it. They're just not telling the public. Well, of course. Yeah. Cause there've been like too many of them. I mean, cause they've always existed. The cover ups always existed. The difference is, uh, people find out about them more now. Yes. But this is a very weird scenario because you have a plane with over 200 people on it. They just disappeared and they talk a lot with the families are involved in a lot of them. And they're just like, they're, they're talking like. Still, like, which is heartbreaking because you still have no clue what happened to loved ones. Yeah. Like, is it better to know that it, like, got hijacked and went and crashed in Pacific? Or is it better like, or to not know? Have no clue what I've happened. always wondered that. Like, I've seen clips of this uh, guy lately that has been doing dive missions. Okay. And found, like, this car from an accident from a few years ago in a small town. And there were two missing persons in it. Oh wow! Um, obviously, I still mean, like it was strapped multiple in or whatever. Years, yeah, but yeah. he found it, and like the sheriff was there and was telling me, I like I can't explain to you how you know what good news this is. Um, it was just very interesting to me it's to like watch. A closure, be only because of the closure. Yeah, but because it's like I mean, well, t- I mean, actually, like it's like I, it's not that good news. I mean, it's confirming that the car crashed and the two kids died. So, I mean, that's not yeah, that's not good news, but. Uh, that yeah, I, like a solved cold I case, hope so. I'm yeah, I hope I'm lucky enough not to uh, you know be able to actually think about that whether I'd want to know what happened or am fine speculating because that sounds like a disaster either way. I, I feel like I'd want to know when I'm watching this. I like I, you feel for the families. Like I I think they just want to know. Like obviously they're gone these people. True, they, but then Closure they also piece. said. But they also said like, is there some way that this just went someplace and these people are all living somewhere and they just haven't been released? Like almost like under, like a like a like a POW kind of thing. Oh yeah. So then you let your mind wander there, and then you so, have that. Little, so you get like the lost island or the lost series. Like they're all yeah, straight out of an they're island somewhere, and you have that little itty itty bit of hope. It's and very then that messes with you. It's a very bizarre. I don't know. It's a very bizarre thing. But I'll let you land this plane. That was a very. All right. Non-landing of the plane. Okay. So <laughs> landing this plane, bring it in. Uh, the pilot has turned the seatbelt signs on. We are preparing for our initial descent. I never know what they say to the other flight attendants, by the way. You know how they make all those announcements? Yep. Like, and then uh, it's, I don't know, it's flight attendants prepare and it's like some code. But they're talking like, all right, the pilot has turned seatbelt side on. Uh, You know, please place your tray tables in the upright position. Now need to uh, turn off and uh, put away all electronics, whatever. And then it's like, flight attendants. Yeah. And then everyone, I was like, what did you tell the flight attendants? Yeah. What does that mean? Um, Anyway, 
so bringing it in, your tray tables are up, your cell phones are already out because you don't pay attention to that at all. Um, I know you, trust me, you're still trying to play that one last game. Um, all right, here's the deal. Uh, please, uh, please, please, and thank you. Uh, remember to be kind to yourself. Um, please, please only focus on, if you can, getting 1% better every day. Um, double down on the people that are important to you in your life uh, because crazy stuff happens all the time. So whoever's important to you in your life, double down. Make sure that they know that. Um, don't bother wasting your time with, um, or investing too much in terms of the people who honestly don't matter that much to you. Uh, that's just like the audit of the self friend group, but seriously double down on the people and things you care about most. Um, because unless the Buddhists are right, we get one crack at this thing. So make it happen. Um, other than that. You still podcasting? Yo, I was thinking about it all morning this morning. So currently, all right, so here's the deal. Check out Road Time. The podcast is called Road Time. It is available on wherever you podcast, basically. Um, it's been a while since there was another episode, but I had actually just written out ideas for a few of them, and they're going to start coming back out twice per week starting this week. Uh, the concept of them is really, really simple. They're uh, normally about 10 minutes in length, kind of to juxtapose to the you know hour, hour and a half, three-hour podcast. Mm -hmm. All this thing is designed to do is be a little shot in the arm for your day, right? Whether you are driving into work, driving home from work on you know a little lunch break, you just want to check out for a minute. I record them while I'm driving. Um, because I live up in Ross's point, I have a 25 minute commute into the office, 25 minute commute back. I'm on the road for work. Um, I just click record. It's just me. I jibber jabber for about 10 minutes and then we put it out. Um, I just listened to one called, it was from a couple months ago. Yeah. One of the last ones I did, it was called Jesus Avicii Joe Rogan. Hmm. Um, I wanted to listen, I wanted to listen to it to see like if in my objective opinion, a little ways, a while, like a little time after reflection, mm -hmm. like if it was still like worth a listen, basically, is there anything here or is this just shit? Um, mm -hmm. and there were moments where there is something there. So that's why I'm bringing it up now because it is not a dumpster fire. There are moments where it, it hits. So again, <laughs> Uh, it's called road time. Um, it f I feel like really dirty doing that. Uh, Self-promoting? Yeah, it feels I love like, it, dude. It feels messy. I know you do. Everything's called Galen Trombley, which good for you. Actually, I love that I you doubled down on it. I redid the intro. I don't say my name as much because I figure people know it by now. But um, I have actually never – I don't re-listen to my podcasts. I put them out in the world, and I just let them go out in the world. Yeah. So I I actually have thought about like should I go back and listen to like episode one or episode ten or just kind of like I think it would be good for you to do it like an episode one uh, fifty seventy five only to see if uh, only to pick up on any sort of uh, progression. So I actually I heard this the other day 
and I think this bodes well with my lack of re-listening to my podcast. So I'm a big Dave Matthews Band fan. The drummer of Dave Matthews. That's Math- on brand. Yes. The, da- the drummer of Dave Matthews Band, Carter, is one of my all-time favorite musicians. And it was just like a little quick like interview thing. A guy goes up, starts asking him. He's like, hey, do you listen to all your music? And he's like, nah. He goes, he started laughing. He goes, he goes, I put it out and he goes, I don't, I don't listen to our music. Like I'll, we play it, but he goes, I don't listen to it. He goes, cause when we go into the studio, I want something new. I want to be trying to get better. I want like my sound to develop. I want, so he goes, I don't want to be held back because I'm trying to sound like our first album or our third album or whatever. So every album he goes, I'm just trying to get better. He goes, I'm, I'm certainly influenced by those because that yeah. was me, but I'm growing and evolving and I don't want to get pulled back into that. So I almost feel, and I'm thinking this through right down live that I probably feel internal. I don't say this out loud. This is like internally why probably I don't listen to it. It's because subconsciously I don't want to be like uh, manipulated by those first episodes and saying that should be better. Cause I do, I do analyze stuff and like, am I good or not? But I find that these podcasts, I very rarely overanalyze the podcast because I kind of like this just being very just flowing. Like I don't, I don't really have any notes um, I only recently added like questions and these aren't like questions. Like if I get stuck, these are more questions like, huh, this would be, these are actually some good. I came, I don't know where I got this I think Jen sent it to me. I was like, these are actually some good questions that I th- would find like are good, like, like starters to a conversation. You know what I mean? So like, I'll give you one simple yeah, one. Give me one. I'll and then you-, you actually have to, then you actually have to stop recording. Yeah. So this would be the last question. And you're gonna be the first one to ever get I'm this. So, I am so ready. This is the last time you're gonna ask the question because the answer is gonna be so good. I mean, there's, there's some other questions. Like, no, there's some like little ones, but I think um, hit me. Oh, this is a good one. You forget how what, to read. What would I? I actually did. I stumbled there for a second. I knew you didn't read any. Of I those wish you books. actually said today, Junior, from Billy Madison. I actually think this would be funny because I think it's just a one-line answer. It'll be quick. What would be the title of the book about you if your worst enemy wrote it? If my worst enemy wrote it? A book about you. A book about me if my worst enemy wrote it? This is like the most self-deprecating question I could probably ask. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know how appropriate, inappropriate you're trying to be with this thing. So I'm filtering a couple out. I don't know. Probably Captain Douchebag. Okay. I I like this. a strong one, though. I thought of Captain Ahab for some reason. And then just went to Captain Douchebag. Um, Yeah. The life, the, uh, I don't know, the life and times of Herb the Shithead. That could work, too. I mean. I feel I feel like that's a that's a reach though. I like the first one though. Yeah, Captain Douchebag or uh, your biggest disappointment. <laughs> that's actually good. Or failed potential. I feel like your biggest disappointment sounds like it should be like a like a good Charlotte song from like two thousand five. It probably is. It probably is. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna lie. I'm gonna do one more because I, I that was that was a tough one. Um, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? One person. If you could sit down for a cup of coffee with him, or her, or them them being like that's funny because on that uh um the timing of it's really interesting because on that episode of road time i was just telling you about mm-hmm. one of the things that popped into my head was like if you could pick one person to take a 10-hour road trip with who would Ooh. it be i like that 
um, dead or alive. Yep. So one historical person for a cup of coffee. Oh, I don't God. even know what my answer would be. I suck and, at- and I would say there's no time limit. So this could be a 10 minute. This could be 10 hours. You just get a cup of coffee. Yeah, you get a cup of coffee. Here's the thing. I suck at this partially because I like can't remember all the people. And partially with a question like this, you want to sound cool. Yeah. You want to come up with the one that no one else would think of because you're super cool and well-read and educated. But uh, historical? Uh, I would even say uh, it could be alive. I just think someone... Right now? All right. So here's... Uh, all right. The general contractor of the pyramids. Ooh. Listen up, homeboy. How the did you do, you do think, this shit? Do you think anybody would have picked that? No. That's that's I wasn't I wasn't even trying to be cool with that that just come to my head whoever the hell was in charge of building them shits listen you and me are having a cup of coffee and I'm not gonna lie I knew I threw away a lot of good opportunities I could have been with Jesus I could have been with Mahatma Gandhi I could have been with um, Peter the Great I could have been with Muhammad Ali I could have been with any of these people guess what pyramids outlived all of them yeah but here's the deal it's not even gonna be a quick cup of coffee either I could have had a five-hour conversation with, I don't know, Muhammad. But instead, I'm going to have a 10-minute, I'm going to have a five-minute conversation with whoever it was that was in charge of building the pyramids and say, listen up, cut the shit. How'd you do it? You know what would be funny, though, if that person was sitting right here and they would like, like, actually, it was really easy. We did this, this, and this, and we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, if it was that simple, because we all think it's like this, this crazy thing, and he's like, well... You know, we actually, all we did was we just cut a bunch of little blocks and we walked them up. Everybody just held like a one by one block and we just stacked them together. And when we got up there, we actually just kind of put them, we, we molded them together up there. But like you didn't move these big blocks. Like, no, who the heck can move these 10,000 pound blocks? Yeah. But then tell me about the tombs. The tombs would be like, oh, like I, but I'm just saying the imagine, channels, but imagine if it was just so simplistic. Oh yeah. It's actually just like, no, we just, everybody grabbed a bucket of, of mud or clay and we walked up and then everybody just spread it and walked down and got the next one. And, but we think it's like this big ex- extravagant thing. And they're like, no, it's actually really simple. And you're like, that makes total sense. Like there, there goes a conspiracy theory that's now out. Like I said, it would be a quick cup of coffee, but I want to know because I'm having enough of watching that this. that shit come through my feed with all these. It, it, it's it's from aliens to they had better construction techniques that got lost somehow. It, it's the whole gambit. Do you know that? The, I had enough of it, so just tell me how you did it. Do you know the height and the width are the same if you divide it by yes. that number, the same as the earth? Yeah, I know. Or multiply it, same. I know. That's where it gets wild. So hit me with it. I like that. Okay, with that... We're actually done. We're done. That's episode 223, Gil and Trombley Show, with the one and only Bryce Hansen. We're out. Thank you for listening to the Gail and Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on all social platforms at Gail and Trombley. Thanks for listening.